on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. Ugh, I know. I, I, that's that's the thing. It is a niche, but like um, there's a lot going on in this niche. And so I'm just like super excited to be a part of it and um, to find such a passion in it now that I've dove into it. Like I'm all in. What you got? In the Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. Nick and I are super excited about this episode as we have another guest speaker on the show. Yep, back-to-back guest speakers. Last week, we had Matt Ibrahim here. This week, we are having somebody by the name of Katie Burnham. Name sounds familiar because it's my wife. She is pretty amazing, and she also goes by the name of Joy today. If you guys are following us on Instagram, you will know that today we had costume day, and we typically do that on the Friday before Halloween, unless Halloween falls on a Friday. Then we do it that day. And technically, this episode is coming out the next week, but yes, we're filming this today, uh, two days before Halloween. That's true. By the time you hear this, Halloween would have already have happened. So um, we are the cast of Inside Out today, and I myself was anger. Nick was fear. Katie with us was joy. Our front desk and office manager, Taylor, she was disgust. And Carissa, our amazing PTA, is, uh, was sadness today. So we all play the roles pretty well. Um, if you haven't seen any of the videos, we got some pretty sweet videos out there. I haven't made them yet, but I have a feeling they're going to be freaking awesome because uh, they were pretty amazing when we were making them. So as some of you may know that here at Proform, we're always um, starting and doing new things. So we have recently been offering something called women's health. It's, it is, yes, definitely a niche in the PT field. Um, however, it's also a field or a specialty in the field that is so underserved, especially in our community. I mean, pretty much everywhere, but our community for sure. So this is why I'm, I'm also mentioning this because Katie is our women's health specialist. So she's been with us now for the last few months. And uh, she's been taking tons of courses with women's health, and she's uh, very, very diverse in all of the areas of women's health, which we will be talking about today. So that's why I'm not only excited to talk about that, but I'm also excited to talk about how this awesome service can now be, you know, offered to the community that you know we are so um, blessed to be a part of. So um, we're in Salisbury, so you know, Newburyport, Amesbury, Seabrook. I mean, we have people that drive from Maine, people that drive from. Um, south of Boston. So don't think you're too far from us, especially with Katie, because Katie's going to tell you how we are so different in terms of some of the areas of women's health that we um, specialize in. So uh, so Katie has had a, and I'll let Katie talk about this a little bit more, but Katie's had a history of pregnancies, one of which was a twin pregnancy, and she'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, so she can certainly relate to a lot of the women out there, and she can not only relate, but she can empathize with you. So, um, so Katie, why don't you um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you kind of got into the uh, the niche of women's health in the field of physical therapy? All right. Yeah. So I've been a PT since 2008, and um, 
really wasn't interested in the pelvic stuff and then got pregnant with one child um, and felt like I should know a little bit more about how to manage my symptoms. Um, so I kind of started digging and uh, learning um, on the fly during that. So I was learning, you know, how to deal with my symptoms during the first pregnancy. Um, it was only one child, but I, you know, was super fit and athletic and still could leak when I sneezed or had a real good laugh going. And I thought, oh, well, this must be normal. And that's what most of us think must be normal. Um, you know, I then, um, had a tear during that delivery and had to deal with how to rehab that and um, found not much information and help from the uh, the doctors, um, especially, you know, in the hospital and didn't get much advice at that time. Um, so it was a little discouraging. Um, moving on a few years, got pregnant with two and that just changed my world. Um, massive amounts of pressure during um, the end of that pregnancy was on bed rest for a whole month in the hospital prior to having a c-section for that one so um, i had to learn how to deal with a lot and didn't feel super prepared um, you know as a patient and being a physical therapist and being the patient um, kind of changes the dynamic so would you say that um, you didn't have the relevant information that you needed after you gave birth to your kids? Like what could have been better that the doctor, maybe that you could have had better guidance or something like that after you delivered your children? Yeah. So, or our children? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I did make them like. Well, I, we, we made them. I, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Their you bodies. Had, you had way more to do with I, it than I did. It does take two to I tango. I mean, I hope I was involved. I was it involved, does, right? It does take two to tango. You were involved. You, okay, good. You, you shared an important part of that. Great. But anyway. Awesome. Um, moving on. So, yeah, I do feel like I was not prepared with enough information or enough information was not given to me freely, you know, in anticipation of the things that I may be dealing with. You know, after having a tear from a vaginal birth, like, okay, what do I do now? And, you know, I went for that six-week follow-up and I was told, just have sex. Sex will help massage the tissue for you. And it may be painful, but maybe it won't be. Mm, great piece of advice. I mean, I was all about that piece of advice. But, but I, I probably don't think it was the right piece of advice. Um, so talk a little bit more about your pregnancy. So, I mean, I know from being, you know, your spouse for all of these years, your regular pregnancy was a vaginal birth. Your second pregnancy was a cesarean or a C-section. And that was a twin birth. Talk a little bit about that in terms of the twin birth and how that all went and your journey through that, because that was quite the experience. Yeah. So there was, um, I, I really, it's hard to compare a singleton pregnancy to a twin pregnancy. And if you've ever been pregnant, I mean, you know that each pregnancy in themselves can be different. Um, but the challenges that I had during the pregnancy with the twins were, um, were a little bit more heightened than it was with my singleton pregnancy. And so lots of SI joint pain, pubic pain, 
Um, just like literally at the end, I was not even stable walking around, you know, in the hospital. I was holding on to stuff because I was just so huge. And the amount of pressure on my pelvis was um, astronomical. So um, but so the C-section, um, you know, that changed the game for the um, for rehabbing afterwards. And so now we've got um scar tissue to deal with and um my stomach muscles you know were impacted in a way too and i honestly had a massive diastasis recti so the separation of the abdominal um the rectus abdominals uh was pretty big so i had a lot going on after that pregnancy and during the after the delivery and you know when we get discharged and we go home we now have this uh new baby or babies that you have to um you know you have to you have to provide for them and so it's very overwhelming and your hormones are crazy and uh you know you can vouch for the fluctuation in hormones that you would witness from myself <laughs> there were times when i would come home whether it was like I came home from work early or I just came home from work and I would be like, where the hell is my wife? And I would walk upstairs and she would be in bed just crying. I mean, I'd be like, what's up? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> it's just happening. <laughs> just let it get, It's let just it happening. Happen. Yeah. So if any of you out there are experiencing symptoms like that, it's totally normal. And, and I know it's tough, but you'll get over it. But as long as you have a supporting spouse to help you kind of get through those times, especially with Katie, I mean, she had these twins right next to her bed. And at that time, it was uh, our three-year-old running all over the place. So it's a lot to take in for sure. So I know we've been talking a lot about um, postpartum in terms of women's health. And you know, I know we could talk about that for hours, but I know that this field of, of physical therapy, especially with the niche of women's health, isn't just you know, niche down to postpartum care. I mean, this can be, I mean, from, you know, like you were talking about, it could be incontinence or leaking during exercise. It could be, you know, pain during sex or intercourse, right? So why don't you kind of explain about some of the other areas in which a women's health physical therapist could help somebody? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, you definitely don't have to be pregnant to necessarily be a good candidate for uh, women's health or pelvic health. I don't like to just say women's health because men have pelvises too. Good point. So really, um, we're, we don't we don't need to single out the women. I mean, we do have a little bit of an extra um, role as the uh, child bearer, and our anatomy is a little bit different. So we're more predisposed to having some issues that men uh, don't necessarily have to deal with. So we mentioned the urinary incontinence. There can be fecal incontinence. You could have constipation and um, not really think pelvic floor would be a thing that you would benefit from. But um, there's, there's something that we classify as pelvic floor dysfunction. And really that's just um, the muscles of the pelvic floor are not functioning the way they should. So um, they can present themselves in different ways. And those are the symptoms that you get. You can get also, um, you know, pain anywhere in the pelvis and the SI joint. Um, again, you can get the pain with sex, uh, pelvic organ prolapse. So, you know, that's the um, pressure that you might feel in your bottom, especially if you are doing any high exertional things. If you're a chronically constipated person and you're pushing a lot to have a bowel movement, then you could be um, putting pressure um, on 
and causing more of an organ prolapse type of scenario. So the people that I see have either generalized tension and pain because of the tension and they just can't tolerate having intercourse or maybe their muscles are really um, loose and they have less support. And so then you'd have more of a classical organ prolapse type of a situation. So a wide range of uh, conditions that could present themselves. And I think what is not happening, and we kind of touched on this already, is that the medical community, those doctors, OBGYNs, even gastroenterologists dealing with people that have chronic constipation or IBS, um, urology, people who have chronic um, urinary tract infections. Why are we getting chronic urinary tract infections? Are we, do we have a dysfunction in the pelvic floor? Are we not eliminating and voiding completely and having a residual amount of urine in the bladder? So then that can irritate the bladder. So are these doctors aware of what the pelvic floor physical therapist or women's health specialist can do. And if they don't know, then how can they tell their patients, hey, you know what, you would benefit from an evaluation from a pelvic therapist? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great point. Let's kind of segue now into how do you really know what you're treating? Right. I mean, like we talk about it all the time, you know. Well, before we do that, too, why don't you tell everybody what the pelvic, like what a healthy or optimal functioning pelvic floor is doing? Because I think it's hard for people to rack their brain around sometimes when, you know, you know the, the foot hurts and you can't see the muscles, but you can see the foot. You can see the foot moving. With the pelvic, the pelvic floor, we talk about it, but you see the pelvis, the outside of the pelvis, but the pelvic floor is really internal. So why don't you tell everybody what the pelvic floor is supposed to do, how it functions? Yeah, so, um, you know, there's a classification of five S's and, you know, it's in the literature and we kind of use that as a way to explain the functions of the pelvic floor. So there's a stability component, there's a sphincter component, which would be, um, you know, contributing to your uh, bowel and bladder function. There's the sex component because it's an integral part of um, intercourse. Um, there's a strength component, um, and oh, sump pump. So um, it's, you know, the pathway, you know, between the lower body and, you know, the trunk in terms of uh, moving fluid, lymph, blood, things like that. So for all of those things to be functioning appropriately, the muscles in the pelvic floor must be able to strengthen and contract on demand, but they also need to be able to lengthen. Um, when necessary. And so every time you have a breath, your diaphragm in your abdomen rises and lowers. And so does the pelvic diaphragm, which is the deep layer of the um, pelvic floor. Um, it also moves in synchrony with the, um, the diaphragm in the abdomen. So there's an intimate relationship there with your breath and the pressure, the intra-abdominal pressure system. Nice. So now back to Chad's question, how would someone or what might be some signs that people might feel? I know you mentioned some of them already with the specific conditions, but what might be some telltale signs of people having some level of, of dysfunction down there? Yeah, so, um, you know, in general, we should be going pee six to eight times a day. Are we going less than that? Are we going more than that? When we do go, um, are we going long enough? Or are we only, you know, 
pee in a few seconds versus eight to 10 seconds? Um, you know, are we, are we able to get a good bowel movement or is it really hard or is it really loose and we, um, are incontinent sometimes, uh, or, you know, or do you leak sometimes? Um, can't, do you have to strain to pass gas? Like that's actually a thing, um, uh, you know, versus, and then obviously the opposite would be not being able to hold it in if you really, you know, if you had gas that you needed to pass and, you know, nobody really wants to talk about this stuff, but it happens to everybody every single day. And so it's about time we get comfortable talking about these uncomfortable topics because people are kind of, you know, trying to manage them on their own and they're suffering in silence a lot of times because they don't feel comfortable um, approaching these topics. And sometimes it's just with their doctor or their PCP. And sometimes their voice doesn't even get heard. Like when you're myself, the patient, um, you know, and asking the, the OBGYN, you know, what do I do for my scar tissue? Like, I know I have scar tissue because I had a tear and I had sutures. And I think anybody really knows that they're, they had a trauma down there. And, you know, I guess being a PT, I'm a little bit more inclined to think, well, there's got to be something I can do to manage the scar tissue so that I don't have problems down the road. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I wish I knew more then. And I'm ex super excited to know now what I do and be able to look back and say, well, I would have um, done this differently if I had a patient with these concerns. And so I would I'm just excited to be able to share that knowledge with people so they don't have to take the long road and um, try to figure it out themselves and, uh, you know, potentially undergo other issues. So why don't you tell everybody too about a little bit about what pelvic PT might involve? Because I feel like some people might be thinking, oh yeah, you just got to do some Kegels and, and be on your way, oh, right? The old Kegel. <laughs> yes. Tell them. I didn't know until recently, so enlighten me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so... A Kegel, we'll just say, you know, and it is the name of a person, um, but uh, a man. <laughs> um, it, it's just another word for pelvic floor muscle activation. And um, part of therapy, and I think regardless of whether you have a tight pelvic floor or a loose pelvic floor, being able to connect the mind with the pelvic floor by activating the muscles um, is super important. And I think I start there with most of my patients. And so um, oftentimes we don't really know what's going on. So if you're if my patient is comfortable with it, we're going to do an internal assessment and we're going to see what's going on. And so that's something that I can provide here in the clinic. Um, sometimes we grab the mirror and we take a peek and it's so important for people to see for themselves what happens. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not like every day, you know, we're, we're able to look at our anatomy quite like a man can look down and see their anatomy. You know, our stuff is, uh, it's, it's harder to see. So, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know, um, connecting, connecting the mind to the muscle for any exercise is uh, is really important. And it's just a little bit more challenging with the pelvic floor because those muscles are 
inside the pelvis. Um, so grabbing a mirror, what happens when we try to squeeze and we activate that pelvic floor or we're doing that Kegel? What happens? What happens when we bear down? Um, and can we do it on command? So there's a, there's a lot of uh, learning and connecting with the body that happens initially. And then, you know, once we know we've got this connection and I've done an internal assessment to see, you know, do we have uh, trigger points inside and, you know, just like anywhere else in the body, these muscles can have trigger points and they can hold tension. Um, if you've got, um, you know, weakness around the pelvis from other trauma or just instability, you know, going back to the pregnancy, you've got uh, lots of laxity and all those um, ligaments around the pelvis. Well, to make up for that, your pelvic floor might start stiffening up some and be real tense. And so those are things that we need to evaluate. So this could be a case where um, it might it might be a dysfunction if you're too tight or not, not tight enough. It's like a Goldilocks principle or something like that, where you got to find the, the just the right amount so that you can do activity or, you know, laugh or, you know, cry or whatever without having to worry about leakage. Right. Right. And yeah, and, and leakage is just one example of a dysfunction, sure. you know, that presents itself. Um, but that there can definitely be um, something bigger going on in there. Um, but yeah, so like anywhere else in the body, that muscle needs to be able to shorten and lengthen. So a really strong shortened muscle, as you know, it fatigues over time. And that can happen with the pelvic floor also. Um, and that's a, a factor of, you know, not like fatiguing out, like lack of endurance over time, you know, so. And that's, and I feel like that's an indication too of where, you know, the healthcare system is with this whole pelvic floor issue that people, a lot of practitioners will just be like, oh yeah, just, you know, do some Kegels, activate it, and then you're done. But we don't do that with any other body part. Like someone comes in with you know, a, a, a knee issue or, or they can't activate their quad very well. Well, after we, we're, we're good at the, the quad activation, we say, okay, let's do some lunges now. Let's do some step ups, right? So we, we pile on top of that. But with the pelvic floor, we're just like, oh, cool. You can activate it. Sweet. We're done. Right. And then we just send them away, which is terrible. That's a really good point. And, and another analogy to kind of, you know, springboard off of that is, uh, even if you are doing VMO activation, which we know is total fucking bullshit. Um, but even if you, if that is your goal for knee strength, um, is activating the muscles around the knee where we need to be starting? And is it coming from somewhere else? Like if we've got a dysfunction in the knee, yeah, exactly. Uh, is that where the dysfunction came from? Right. I mean, you guys, both Nick and Katie, both just did a workshop on the pelvic floor and its relationship to the big toe. And that was pretty enlightening. <laughs> that was pretty wild. Uh -huh. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the, the synergistic effect between the big toe and the pelvic floor is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And even just like Katie was talking about before, just tying in the breathing. I mean, the, the, the uh, respiratory diaphragm and your pelvic diaphragm, they work in unison. So we look up, we address the breathing, you're directly going to impact the pelvic floor and vice versa. And then even going down, like we had the workshop on, you go down to the feet and that directly impacts the pelvic floor. Or I, I guess it's more indirect, but it's still an, an influence nonetheless. So it, like anything else, you need to address the body as a whole. I just think a lot of people out there, providers, healthcare providers, that someone has these concerns, they don't want to send them away with nothing, but they don't know because it's a harder area to, to wrap your brain around. And like you've been saying throughout this whole thing, 
this area of the pelvic floor is more intimately tied into your emotions than other parts. You know, like For you sure. can have a foot issue. And yeah, you can make a case that it's still tied in your emotions. But you, you're not going to, you know, laugh and then it's going to increase your foot pain necessarily or, you know, have to go to the bathroom. You're like, oh, my foot's killing me. I can't pee, you know. So it's it's more intimately tied into those those types of emotions and, and things like that. So it can be more stigmatic for people like it's it's more stigmatizing for people to have that issue they're like oh man i can't laugh i'm, I'm with friends but i i want to laugh but i feel like i can't so it can be more you know more of a mental barrier for a lot of people and you know you brought up a good point too um that you know stress and emotions can have a direct impact on the that functioning you know the um the pudendal nerve which innervates most of what's going on down there it there are sympathetic fibers so if you're in a uh, chronically stressful situation, um, you might be also constipated. I mean, that would be something that I would be looking for um, because your 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 pelvic floor just isn't functioning appropriately, and your bowels slow down. I mean, if you think about you know, if you're super stressed all the time, or whenever I go travel, and Chad will vouch for this, I don't poop. I was just gonna say this. So, how many people out there listening to this right now that travel and are like, man, I can't shit. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, I don't have that problem. Nick, I know you don't have that problem because <laughs> we've traveled many times together. <laughs> but like if I'm, if I'm outside and there's nothing aside from like porta potties, like I'm, I'm going to hold it for a little bit. Totally. But, you know, you know, I, I don't have that problem. Either, yeah, but <laughs> I can see I can see where that could be a problem for some people. Totally. totally. But, but now it all makes sense. I mean, that sympathetic reaction or that sympathetic response can cause what overactivation of the pudendal nerve. Is that what you said? So it's well, it's I, too tight to. Well, I don't know that I'm saying that. I'm just oh. saying that that um, stress is tied. Stress in. is tied in, and I feel like I yeah, you. stress gets tied in, and and I mean, I think your your digestion. Oh, totally. In general, it, in a stressful situation, if you're you know going primal now and you're running away from a T Rex and you have to, like, I love it. I <laughs> yeah, love you're it. not gonna have to shit anymore. You're not. Yeah. You don't gotta shit no more. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tie the feet into that. I always like to bring it back to the feet, but it's the same way, right? Like supination of the foot becoming that rigid lever yeah. is a little bit more of that fight or flight right side because that's your propulsion forward, whereas the shock absorption might be more of that or parasympathetic, that kind of rest, digest, where I'm kind of, you know, molding into the ground, molding into the environment. So you can kind of make the case joint by joint or area by area, so to speak. But it is an interesting parallel there. Oh, totally. That. And if you are stressed and, you know, then yes, you're going to hold tension. I mean, there's a connection between people who um, grind their teeth and have a pelvic floor dysfunction, right? I mean, so if you're if you're a, a clencher and you're somebody who is uh, just, you know, in a heightened level of, um, you know, stress or anxiety, you, if you probably also clench your pelvic floor. And so, yes, Chad, I'm not saying that that's not a thing, um, but I would, yeah. So I know we talked about the internal assessments and how important that actually is. Let's kind of dive into that a little bit deeper, not like specifically, but let's dive take into- Take us through an internal yeah, take assessment. Us, yeah, we'll have the video <laughs> attached to this. Don't worry. You can It'll see be on everything. YouTube. It'll be perfect. Yeah. Don't worry. Just kids don't let your kids it. see it. Yeah, I click the button. It's not for kids. So, so take us into um, the reasoning behind an internal assessment and how that might be more optimal than a provider that doesn't. And is it more common to find a pelvic 
rehab specialist or a women's health specialist or whatever um, that does internal or are they more commonly doing would you call it like an external assessment yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. Is, is it not super common to find pelvic rehab specialists that are doing internal assessments so so I think you know if you go to PT for anything else like your shoulder your knee your foot whatever um, your PT is gonna touch it right? They're not going to touch the joint above and below and the area around it. They're actually going to touch it. And um, I mean, I, I get a lot of information through touch. And uh, I, I personally felt like if I was going to go down um, this road of pelvic therapy, it would be way more beneficial to my patients um, if I was able to provide more information with an internal assessment. So not all PTs that do pelvic therapy um, do provide an internal. And that's their choice, whether they're not comfortable with it or they just choose not to do it. That's absolutely their choice. So um, I think it should be known that if you go to a pelvic specialist or pelvic floor rehab type of a physical therapist. Um, and, I, and I say that cautiously because there are certifications that you can get, board certifications for women's health clinical specialty. And then there's also a PRPC, which is the pelvic rehab um, practitioner certification. And those are both put out by different um, organizations. But um, you don't have to have that certification to say that you're a pelvic health uh, physical therapist. Um, but because you're going to a pelvic health th therapist doesn't mean that they do internal. So I think that should be first um, and foremost understood. Um, and you should, as the patient, know the difference. And I think that that's important because um, it's just really not fair if you're going to somebody and you don't know what type of a service that they're going to provide and you don't know the pros and the cons of each situation. So would you say it's fair to say that individuals should be seeking both the internal and the external for a more comprehensive assessment in all cases, or is it just specific? I think it's nice to have the opportunity if you go to a therapist, um, like if you came to me and you weren't comfortable with the internal, we wouldn't have to do the internal, but if you were, then we could do it. Gotcha. You know, so and, it's on the table. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great to have it on the table. So, like, let's talk about that. So, when when we do the internal, um, we're able to identify uh, differences from front to back of the pelvis, mm -hmm. from side to side of the pelvis. So we can identify um, where your dysfunction might be coming from, or where you might have uh, areas of. Uh, tension and trigger point tightness. Um, so there can be manual work to address some of that stuff. You can be getting pain elsewhere. And I touch a point in the pelvic floor and it triggers that same pain. So like referral patterns, for example, um, you know, so I'm able to identify that and then make recommendations for people. Maybe they get a pelvic wand and um, they're able to treat themselves at home because anything I do in the clinic, they need to be able to do at home. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we do. We have to. And uh, there's, a, there's a few other, um, you know, toys, if you will, that we can implement. And uh, so talk, talk about that. So what, what, what are some of the quote unquote, like tools 
that you're using with some of these patients just so they have an idea about what you're talking about. Yes. So the pelvic wand is one option and um, that can be used. It's used internally, but it can be used rectally as well as um, vaginally because you can access different muscles a little bit um, better from both locations. Um, and that would be used for massage, um, just trigger point, any, anything like that. Um, so if you're a person with a lot of tension, you're that grinder and, um, you know, and, and clencher of the teeth. Well, you know, if you've got pain down there, well, maybe we also have some trigger points that we got to work out. So if I find that, then that's what I'm going to recommend. Um, vaginal weights are another thing that we can use, um, you know, just like a weight for any other, you know, place in your body that, you know, like a dumbbell weight. Well, these are just different, different shapes and different sizes. Um, and that could help with um, strengthening. But we wouldn't want to do strengthening if we had lots of spasticity um, and tension in the pelvic floor. That would be really counterproductive there. So um, how do we know that? We have to go based on information we get during our history and symptoms that you might complain of or, or not complain, but reporting. Um, and then also, what does it feel like to do um, the internal assessment? What kind of information am I getting from that? Um, also, uh, dilators are another uh, another one that's commonly used. So with conditions like vaginismus, painful sex, um, that's, a, that's another one of those tension disorders where you've got a lot of tension. Maybe you've had trauma in the past, maybe psychological, emotional trauma. And, um, you know, the body is... Um, it's going to hold on to a lot of that emotional stress and it can happen with, you know, the pelvic floor. And so um, dilators will help to progress um, people to um, accommodate, you know, being comfortable, you know, with potentially whatever their goals are. I mean, it really comes down to what people's goals are. Do they just want to use a tampon? Do they want to have sex? Do they, you know, it's whatever, whatever they want. So there was a, uh, a pretty cool tool that I know that you were, um, playing with i i, <laughs> I was researching okay sorry researching let me rephrase that it it was a game you want to explain that game so it's a bluetooth um you know type of a situation it's like a feedback which is kind of cool yeah well yeah so the, this particular um device um has an inflatable um body that you know you insert into the vagina and it calibrates to the size of the space you know, because it, it can't just be all one size fits all because we're all different and we're all different sizes. So um, you calibrate it, you know, inside the body and then you hook it up to your phone and you can pick a game if you'd like. Or, you know, uh, I was playing ping pong, ping, ping pong, ping, it was ping, ping pong. No, uh, what was it? It wasn't ping pong. Why are you looking uh, at Nick? I, I, I wasn't there. That would have been a little weird if I were there. Nick, were you there? <laughs> Nick, what were we playing that day? All, all three of us just <laughs> hanging right, out? It's not what it sounds like. No, <laughs> no, no. no, no. Why the hell are you looking at him for? Yeah, I don't pin, know. Pinball. I always confide in Nick. He's so smart. He would have known yeah, what I was talking about. He would just know. Anyway, so when I squeeze, meaning when I do a pelvic floor contraction, um, two things are happening. I'm seeing on my phone movement of, you know, in this particular one, it was the pinball, you know, to be able to, you know, hit it with the lever. Hit, yeah, hit yeah. the lever. Yes, yeah, so thank you. So, um, so you're timing it. Uh, it 
when the ball comes and you try to time it and you do your squeeze when that happens. But also with this particular device, there was a vibrational component. So with, that was like that feedback. So um, when I had a contract, when I contracted, I also got vibration. And the more of a contraction that I was able to produce, the stronger it was, the more vibration um, of a feedback that I got in return. So that was kind of fun. And it may, you know, there's different ways that you can, you can do it. And there's different programs because it's not like a, a one size fits all Kegel contraction. You need to be able to function with uh, short, quick bursts of contraction versus um, a longer hold, you know, just like anywhere else in the body, there's those fast and slow twitch muscle fibers um, that both need to be um, exercised. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I mean, it, it's I only bring this up because it's I just want people to know the different options out there and and I know we sound like we're joking about it but we're you know we're trying to make an uncomfortable situation more comfortable you know what I mean and people we want people to understand that it's like it's totally normal to have this I mean my wife went through that Katie went through that for a long time so it's not you know it's not uncomfortable for us to talk about so we want you to feel the same way about it you know and I think you know also that makes me think that doing exercise for your pelvic floor it should be kind of like anywhere else in your body um and i've said that a, a million times but it's like it's not anything it's not different it's a part of you and so when you go work out at the gym and you lift weights and you do you know whatever it is that you enjoy doing or you do your your running or your swimming or whatever um i think that we need to also get in the habit of doing like a routine for the, the pelvic floor, you know, as because as we're aging, you know, things happen. I mean, more so for women with the hormones, but like we just have like the cards stacked against us, unfortunately, because we're the child bearers and we've got an extra hole down there. So we're more predisposed to more issues. And then as we get older, our hormones change and we have menopause and then things also can um, be impacted then too. So I think it's just like, it would be great for everybody for it not to be like a taboo situation and everybody, um, you know, include pelvic health into their daily, you know, or their weekly routine, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I, I think that's powerful too, because in our modern world, we have so many environmental toxins, things like that, that disrupt our breathing, which will then directly impact the pelvic floor. So you could tie it into every day, do something, have a breathing practice. It could be all of, you know, a couple minutes, but you have a breathing practice that ties in the, you know, the, the pelvic floor activation in conjunction with the breathing or something like that. And that could be both females and males. It doesn't just have to be females because like you said, males have pelvic floors too. So that is something that is worthwhile to think about. I, I always think too that, you know, these things, these modern uh, orthopedic issues that we're starting to see more and more and more of, you know, it's, it's, we live in a world where in culture that our, our bodies from an evolutionary perspective and have not adapted to yet. We sit in chairs a lot, which we really never did. Right. We move less. So all these factors like you said, it's stacked up against females, but now it's even just stacked up against us as a species, the the life we live, because it, we haven't caught up to it yet from an evolutionary perspective. So we haven't, there's this mismatch out there. But I know um, we don't want to get into too, too much today because we probably will have a part two on this that gets oh a God, little yeah. bit more, so much to more say. specific. We just talk yeah. about That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't want to uh, give away too, too much. But I had one more question I was thinking about before 
when you were talking about, you know, if someone came in and had too much tone, we wouldn't necessarily want to strengthen. So would you say that if someone goes to a provider and the provider's like, oh, you have a pelvic floor issue? Yeah, just do some Kegels. Would you say that could be harmful for that for some people? Oh, absolutely. If that's just a blanket statement from them? Absolutely. I mean, number one, you, you, you're probably not going to get any better from whatever your, your symptoms are that you came in initially with. But um, focusing on now activating an overly stimulated and tight muscle has um, definite negative impacts and you could have more symptoms that come out of that. So, you know, maybe you didn't have issues with uh, pain with penetration and now we do. And, um, you know, now we got pain radiating in other places because, you know, now we've, we've really just flared and inflamed things up. So, Yes, I think that there's there's definitely um, some negative implications if we don't know exactly what's going on and we're just giving somebody a like a one exercise, you know, like no nowhere else in the in the body are we just saying um, like you like we were talking about with the knee, like we wouldn't do that anywhere else. Why are we doing it here? Because it's um, <laughs> I've heard this before and I'm going to throw it out there um, because it makes a lot of sense. We're doing pelvic therapy. It's doing physical therapy in a cave. You can't see nothing. <laughs> You've got a finger, yeah. you know, and, the, and that yeah. finger is your eye. And so if you're not having the um, having that opportunity to at least get um, an internal assessment to see what's going on with that finger, at least, um, then really we're we're just shooting out prescriptions for um, an intervention blind. Yeah, and unfortunately, that does happen with other parts of the body. People people are out there are seeing oh, so this person's got a knee issue. All right, I'm gonna give them these five exercises. So people do that, unfortunately. And if that you feel like you've been in that situation, if you're listening and you've you've gone to PT and you're like, oh yeah, I had a knee and I got the same exercises when I went back later on and it was a different different type of pain. Yeah, or you're doing the same exercises as uh, 85-year-old Sally next to you because you have this you have two different goals but you're doing the same exercises. I know we harp on this like almost every single episode. It sounds like we're shitting on the system because we're actually shitting on the system because it, it's that bad. And and I only say this cuz I mean the point of this episode is really to kind of give people more of an awareness of um you know that women's health PT is a thing. And what does it entail? And how do you know if you're a candidate for it? And uh, I think kind of talking about like part two of that, like Nick just mentioned, would be kind of digging in a little bit deeper of what, um, you know, pelvic health or pelvic rehab might entail, you know, on a deeper um, scale. But I think turn in terms of right now, just knowing, you know, like you said, if you feel like that, because we all know that the healthcare system's failing and it's, you know, if you're going to the doctor and they're number one, not telling you to go to like a pelvic rehab specialist or, you know, pelvic PT or whatever it is after you've had a child, or maybe you're having symptoms, or maybe you're, you don't want to tell your doctor you're having symptoms because you're too embarrassed to tell your doctor you're having symptoms. These are ways that you can check the list off in your head and say, geez, you know what? I probably really should call somebody that could help me with this. And these are the indications that, you know, you can use to see if you're a candidate for, you know, women's health PT. And like you were saying, you know, everybody that's getting you know, prescribed these exercises might not be the best exercises, especially if it's um, uh, a history evaluation. Like you just took the patient's history and you're like, oh, I know what this is. Just check, 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 check. You know what I mean? That's not how it goes. Um, unfortunately, that is how it's going. Um, but we have to be better advocates for ourselves, right? And understand the service that we're getting is not great service. And we need to know where that good service is. Um, so Katie, 
why don't you talk just really quick, just if, if for all the listeners that are listening to this, you know, it, what are good indications? I know we kind of talked about this already, but for people that listen to be like, I don't know, I'm still kind of on the fence. Do I need pelvic floor therapy? Do I not? Where, where do I go with this? Uh, because these people ultimately have to advocate for themselves because the healthcare system, unfortunately, is not doing that for them. Not the whole healthcare system, but most of it. Um, so what are, if these people are thinking about pelvic health rehab or you know, women's health PT, however you want to call it, what what are good like signs and symptoms for them to be thinking, oh, this is what I need to do. I need to go see someone like you. Yeah. So, you know, if, if anybody's dealing with um, chronic constipation, like I have to go to that because if you're dealing with chronic constipation and you, you, you have to I hate to, I mean, I hate to talk about it like this, but you have to push harder and pushing harder, you know, increases the pressure in the lower abdomen. And, uh, you know, you can predispose yourself to um, an organ prolapse. So constipation, even though you might not think it's like a big deal or may not be pelvic health related, um, that would be a big one for me. Um, even, um, you know, we already talked about the incontinence of blot bladder or bowel, um, just uh, pain with any type of insertion, uh, whether it be a tampon, a finger, um, you know, if you're having sex, um, any any pain with that would be um, a red flag. Um, burning around the area. So we didn't really even hit on that. But <clears throat> if the pudendal nerve is in, is in irritated in any way, um, and uh, we, we're not going to get into the anatomy of it today, but um, the signs for that are having some burning sensation in um, in the genital region. And, and uh, that might be uh, you can't stand to have your clothing touch your skin. Um, you might have pain with your, with sitting and in your tailbone region. And so you... Um, you might not really think, well, a pelvic health physical therapist would be the person to go to. But if you've got pudendal nerve um, impingement or a neuralgia in general of that nerve, um, then the pelvic health physical therapist is going to be the one to um, to help you with that situation. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if those patients get sent to people like Nick or I, we're just going to be like, oh, it seems like it could be a radicular pain from maybe the sacral or the lumbar region, and we'll treat it like that, and we could be totally missing it. So for people like us that are listening, it might also be good for you to know that, geez, those could be indications that mm, we probably should refer out for the situation. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. And I mean, and if you're if you're specifically talking about that postpartum person, you know, the diastasis is a, you know, a common thing and they do heal over time. That's that separation of the um, the abdominal muscles there and a thinning of that uh, ligament, you know, the linea alba there. But uh, it that can be a problem and it can become more of a problem if people don't manage their intra-abdominal pressure correctly. So that's why I'm just an advocate for, and we don't have this in our medical system, but if you've had a baby, you should have pelvic PT. Like you should have like whatever, three to six visits because there's, there's so much work that we could do and so much information that we could help people with that would prevent potential complications and issues down the road. Good point. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make yeah. it happen. So if anybody has any questions regarding pelvic health or if they're not really sure if they're a candidate for pelvic rehab or pelvic PT, 
then uh, you you are more than welcome to reach out to us. Our you know our Instagram it's ProformPTMA. Uh, Katie has access to that account, so she would be happy to respond to you uh, at you know whenever she gets around to it at her earliest convenience. And uh, if you do have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, Katie's email, and I'll shoot that out there. It's Katie at ProformPTMA.com. So if you don't want to throw that on the IG and throw that and slide into our DMs, then you're more than welcome to email Katie personally, and she'd be happy to answer those questions for you. So um, anything else to add to pelvic PT that anybody should know? that we didn't talk about. I know it's so big, but Ugh, I know I, I, that's, that's the thing is it is a niche, but like, um, there's a lot going on in this niche. And so I'm just like super excited to be a part of it and, um, to find such a passion in it now that I've dove into it, like I'm all in and that's really exciting, uh, for me. Totally. Yeah. I can totally tell that you've had this, uh, huge enlightenment since working in that niche with the field of physical therapy. So Nick, we've got another episode coming up. It's uh, it's another stories episode with a twist. Yeah, this time Chad and myself will be talking about times that we messed up because we felt like after last stories episode, we felt like we just been bashing on other people a lot, or that's what it it makes. No, that's definitely what we're doing. So, but so, yeah, well, all right. It's I'm not sure. Good. Okay, so this time we're going to talk about times we messed up and how we, you know corrected ourselves or asked for help or whatever the case is so we're, we're going to talk about a few of those stories so it yeah should be and fun. uh you know we may sound like we're perfect but we're not because we're always learning too well nick maybe nick's perfect but not me well katie thinks nick's perfect so <laughs> <laughs> but anyways um yeah so there were a lot of things that i messed up early on in my career and i'll be talking about that because i know that some people that are listening to this have been practicing for over 10 years you guys know that you did the same shit as me so and we'll talk about that next week. But um, so moral of the story, you guys know it's my favorite part. Overall, women's health physical therapists like Katie help women and men to understand not only how their bodies work, but empower them to take charge of their own body. Remember, everyone, it may be normal to have trouble shitting when you're stressed, but it sure as hell ain't normal to pee when you laugh. If this is you, get yourself to a pelvic rehab specialist. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.